Thanks, Kyron. Good morning. And uh, it's good to be here in the house of the Lord. Um, would you turn in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22? And I just want to read a, a few verses from this chapter, starting at verse 14. So Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat again until it finds its fulfilment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. And then across to verse 28. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This morning we're going to share in communion Have you ever come across somebody who, when you ask them a question, instead of just giving you an answer, they want to tell you the story? Um, the sort of thing where you can imagine a, uh, somebody ringing up a radio talkback gardening session because they've got a problem with their plant. And limited time, and all the, the presenter wants to know is what's wrong with your plant. But the caller goes into all the story of how they chose the plant and why they chose the plant and where they bought it and where they've situated it in their garden. And it goes on and you can feel the tension rising in the studio as they're running out of time. You've heard people like that. And yet every event has a story. And the problem that we have sometimes is that in our busy world, we don't have time for the story. And the event becomes an isolated event. And it's the same with communion. It becomes familiar, it's an event, and we forget the story. And so this morning... I want to remind us again of the story that surrounds the communion service. These elements that are set before us this morning invite us to look back into history. They challenge how we live today in the present and they draw our attention to the future. So first off, I want to look back 
How did communion begin? Where did it begin? Well, it actually began before the world was created. Because right back before the world was created, God knew that you and I would need a saviour. And he planned it. Why do we need a saviour? Because Adam sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God promised them a redeemer. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Luke, in in writing the story of Acts, reminds the people that Jesus was handed over by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And the Jews, with the help of the Gentiles, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. You see, salvation was planned way, way back in distant history, knowing that you and I would need a saviour. Salvation was always part of God's plan. The rebellion of man didn't take God by surprise. He already planned a solution. And so the sacrifice of Jesus was foreshadowed right through history. And if we read the history of the Jewish people as we have in the Old Testament, we see the sacrificial system at work where the blood of animals was shed to cover the sins of the people. The sacrifice foreshadowed throughout the history of God. And so in the communion elements that we have here before us this morning, they point back to that sacrificial system. They point back to that plan that God had in place for us. A plan given by a loving and gracious God. That's in the past. We come and Jesus fulfilled that sacrificial system. An event in our past, 2,000 odd years ago, where Jesus went to the cross and died on the cross on a day in history so that we might be able to look back to that and be saved. So what has that got to do with today, with the present? Peter, writing to the dispersed um, Jews, the dispersed church, wrote this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
you and I have not seen Jesus. To you and I, he's invisible. We might experience him in our lives, but we can't actually touch and we can't see. And so we need to walk by faith. For you and I, the Christian life is one where we walk not by seeing, but by faith. Faith in what? Faith in a past event that happened 2,000 years ago? Possibly. Certainly, faith in Jesus' presence with us. Though we can't see him, he's with us. He has promised never to leave us or forsake us. The Apostle Paul reminds us that there is nothing anywhere in this world or anywhere out of this world that can separate us from the love of God. He is with us and we walk day by day believing that is true. We are called to walk by faith in his promises. He has promised so many things. Peter writes of his very great and precious promises that allow us to participate in the divine nature. Jesus promises, promise of life, promise of love, promise of of presence, promise of um, healing, of joy, of all sorts of things. You can go through the scriptures and start looking up those precious promises that help us to walk by faith. Faith in his awesome power. Do you see the power of God at work in your life, in the lives of those you love? Because Jesus is powerful and is powerful in our lives, wants to be powerful in our lives. And by faith, we believe that he will work in us and through us. So we walk by faith, not by sight. But we also need to remember that we are walking with a rejected king. Way back on the day when Jesus was taken to the cross, Pilate said, what? You know, I can't find anything wrong in this man. What's the problem with this guy? But the crowd shouted out, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. And Pilate asked, shall I crucify your king? And they replied, we have no king but Caesar. No king. And yet Jesus was the anointed one of God, the king who was to come. And the people rejected him. That's the king 
that we follow. And so the life that we live here in this world is not an easy life. There are battles to be fought, struggles with which to contend and difficulties that challenge us. We walk with a rejected king who continues to be rejected day by day in our lives as we walk in society. People don't want to hear about Jesus and they certainly don't want him to be part of their lives. Jesus' challenge to his disciples was that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. The walk with Jesus, the invisible Jesus, is a walk by faith, a walk that might include having to... um, lay down our possessions. It might include having to put aside our reputation. It might even demand our very lives. This is the challenge that we're called to, to walk with Jesus because he is the rejected king and we follow him, we also can be rejected. And yet... In all of that, we need to be reminded, as Paul was reminded, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We walk with a rejected king. We walk in weakness. But always we need to remember that in whatever difficulty we're going through, whatever challenge we're experiencing in our life, the truth is that God's grace is sufficient. And that will keep us from being overwhelmed by our problems. So this communion... Um, the elements look back to the past. They remind us of the, f- of the present, of how we should live in the present. But they also remind us of the future. They look, cause us to look not just in the life we're living at the moment, but what the future holds. In 1 Peter in chapter 2 it says, For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, 
The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. God has set a cornerstone whereby we can live our lives. Cornerstones um, are really important in buildings because they not only set where the building will be, but they define where the walls will go in a horizontal uh, direction. But not only that, cornerstones also dictate the vertical directions for the building. And so if Christ is the cornerstone in, in our lives, he directs how we relate horizontally, that is, to one another. He also directs how we relate vertically, that is, to our Heavenly Father. And it's that assurance, that um, steadfastness, that, that foundation that then allows us to walk into the future. Jesus is the standard by which we measure our lives. But this cornerstone is not just a measure for us who believe. It is also a stumbling block for the unbeliever. Jesus is not understood or comprehended by those who are unbelievers because they don't want to submit to the cornerstone. They don't want to submit and have their lives dictated which way they will go, either horizontally or vertically. And out of disobedience, they stumble over this cornerstone. But you and I who believe are being built together. And so as we look to the future, not only does... um, do these elements dictate how we will live in the present, but they will guide us in looking forward to the future and how we will live day to day going forward. Communion says, look to the future because we share this meal until he comes. The angels, when Jesus disappeared up into the, to the heavens um, the last time when he left this earth, the angels said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That promise of Jesus' return is such an encouragement for us because it says a lot of things. Firstly, it says that we're not abandoned, that Jesus is coming again, coming back to take us to be with him. But it also says that Jesus is in control, that whatever happens in this world It's not going to stop Jesus coming back at the right time. 
whatever man plans, whatever man might do, and if we look at the world in which we live, it can be a really scary place. Um, it looks like either, depending on how you look at it, that the whole world is in total chaos or that the whole world is being manipulated by people more powerful than we are and things are out of our control and it becomes a scary place to live. But the reality is that Jesus is coming again. And whatever man might plan and and want to do, it does not change the plan of God. It does not thwart the plan of God. And so when we take communion, we do it until he comes. It reminds us every time that Jesus is coming back. Jesus hasn't abandoned us. And so then let us not be discouraged by the wickedness of the world around us. But let us run our race with our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. It's so easy to fix our eyes on the world and, and it gets pushed into our homes every day on news bulletins of just chaotic things that are happening in the world. This COVID pandemic has disrupted our, the world we knew. And yet, in all of that, Jesus has got it in control. And we can, if we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are not overwhelmed by the things that happen in this world. God is in control. God will fulfill his plans. And nothing can prevent him from accomplishing his plan for his creation. You and I are part of that plan, if you love Jesus. So let's stand firm in his power. This is a message of hope that we hold to encourage ourselves, but it's also a message of hope that we can share with others. When people talk to us and and are... um, are worried, are scared about what's happening in the world, we have a message that says, yes, but God is in control and God has a wonderful plan if you will submit to him. A message of hope for anyone who will stop and listen to us. So there's a stone laid which will not be removed, will not be Uh, overwhelmed or distorted or anything. It's It's a firm foundation. It's a datum point on which we can set our lives. So as we approach the communion this morning, let us be thankful for the salvation extended to us by grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus our King. Let us resolve to live daily bearing our cross but confident that his grace is sufficient for us. And let us look joyfully to the future when Jesus will return in glory and we will be free 
from all of the sin, um, both the intrinsic sin in his failed bodies and the sin that's in the world around us, free from that to serve in his kingdom forever. As we share in this meal, it's an event, but it's an event that has a story. It has a history. It has a story to tell to us today. And it has a story of the future that reminds us that Jesus is coming again.